This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run, and I'm Philip C. Joining me on the show today is Shazwan Shazani from Shazwan Shazani & Partners as we try to assist first-time home buyers what to look out for. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Shazwan. So, okay, I've decided to enter the property ladder. What's a typical legal checklist you need to have before you start looking at buying a home? Uh, so before I elaborate further on that question, first and foremost, thank you, Philip, for having me here today, this morning. So getting back on your question, there's not necessarily a typical uh, legal checklist, I would call it, but it's rather more of a general checklist. Okay, but if you must know, um, I guess among the legal checklist that you would need to consider is you must not be a bankrupt because a bankrupt cannot buy a home. And then uh, another thing is you need to make sure the house that you're buying, you are dealing with the owner, meaning the house that you're buying. The owner is the rightful owner in the title. Okay. And then... Of course, uh, lastly, you need to make sure the house that you're buying, the title and the credentials of the house exist. So you're not buying a house without a proper title. Otherwise, uh, in future, you, you'll find yourself in trouble in transferring the property and all. So three I things. yeah. Three things, yeah. Three things. You're not bankrupt, number one. Number two, mm-hmm. you're dealing with the rightful owner. Number three, yes. that you have actually have access to the titles and the credentials related to the property yes. per se. I, can, I yes. want to build on point number two. How do you check mm-hmm. whether you're dealing with the rightful owner? All right. So um, let's say in a situation where you're buying a subsidy house, right? Mm-hmm. So more often than not, you'll be dealing with the agents for the owner. So when you're dealing with the agent of the owner, you have a right, okay? You have access to the title of the uh, property itself. So there is some um, checking that can be done. So when you get the title, you'll see the name in the title, right? You need to make sure that this agent is the agent to the owner in the title. Uh, So you know that you are dealing with the rightful owner for the rightful property. Uh, you're not dealing with some, maybe a broker or someone on top of another layers that are dealing on behalf of the... And generally, you know, when, when we make a transaction or get involved in the transaction, we always will engage a legal professional, you know, give us a 101 on what to expect, you know, or what not to expect from your legal advisor when it comes to assisting you to purchase a home. You know, are there any myths, misconceptions that you would like to debunk about what are the expectations for a legal professional with respect to assisting someone in uh, purchasing a home? So I'll give you a thing to expect first from a legal uh, professional. So naturally... A legal professional solicitors appointed by you is there to assist you with your purchasing of the house, right? So the whole point of you appointing the solicitor is to assist you in the transaction of the sale and purchase of the house. But the misconception is that the solicitor is there to solve all your other legal issues. So you need to understand that when you appoint a solicitor, they are there to exclusively solve on your transaction of the house, mm. not for other legal issues. Say, for example, you bought a property which is um, tenanted maybe. So when buying the house, 
it's not the duty of the solicitor to get the tenant out of the house. The duty of the solicitor is to facilitate the, the purchase of the property until to the end. So those are among the misconceptions. I get you. So the big distinction here really is that the solicitor or legal professional is supposed to help you on the transaction per se, yes. not yes. on the overall issues related to the property. Yes, correct. correct. Although so, there are cases where the solicitors can assist you, but there will be fees involved in that. Of course, they will charge you like of if, course. They, if they offer you extra service on that. So there is a fee related to the transaction. And yeah, the solicitor or the legal professional could charge you fees for other things not related to the transaction, but pertaining right. to the property in question. Right, right. The question then is, in my mind is, how do you pick a lawyer in the place? How do you pick a solicitor, right, to assist to assist you? Because usually when it comes to the property developer, they recommend all the names. Mm. Say, how do you background check? How do you fact check whether the solicitor is the right one to assist you? What are the characteristics actually of finding a good solicitor with respect to purchasing a property then? All right. So generally in terms of um, project properties, so property that you buy from a developer, right? They will definitely have their own, um, it's what we refer to as the uh, panel solicitors. Mm. So these panel solicitors will represent them and they are the the ones who will be preparing the SMP and facilitate all the transaction from a to Z. So generally in this situation, you are not allowed to pick a solicitor to override or, or rather to replace that solicitor appointed by the developer. However, if you choose to have your own solicitor, let's say to represent you in this matter, they can and it is allowable. However, you will need, you will need to pay fees to them. And this is a case where I believe it is, it is a bit redundant where at the end of the day, you would still need to submit to the terms and conditions set out by the developer. So there is, I mean, there's little point in you having your own legal representation in buying a property from a developer because at mm. the end of the day, you would need to submit to their lawyers as well. Okay. And, and help me understand then the, the fee structure. How is it usually done? I mean, people tend to have issues with the way the fees are structured. How has it evolved actually in the past few years? All right. Before, before I get to that question, then, Philip, let me just add a bit more mm. on how do you actually select the lawyers. Eh? Mm. So just like I mentioned about property developer, right? Yeah. So what if you're buying a property on the secondary market, meaning the sub-sale buyers, right? So in these instances, so my recommendation would be pick a lawyer that is nearby to the property that you're buying. Choose a lawyer that you know and you trust, maybe someone in your family or someone who is your relative, or simply just choose the lawyer which the real estate agent recommended to you. So then can I just build on that point? Let's say perhaps mm-hmm. the panel of solicitors don't meet those requirements that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? What's the process of changing? It's not difficult, is it? Because sometimes I think, you know, when we are first-time home buyers, mm-hmm. we tend to get a bit overwhelmed or worried of changing solicitors, uh, you know, okay. midstream or even early on in the process per se because we think, oh, the, the panel probably knows more or is aware. So it's very unlikely that they will change cost right but if they don't meet the criteria if you go out and search what mm-hmm. what do you do then if you want to change the okay. panel so again like i mentioned um in sale and purchase agreement between you and the property developer there, there 
they already have their parents solicitors. So it's not up to you to decide whether you are comfortable with the lawyer mm. or not. It's up to the developer to decide whether it's their lawyers or not. So in these instances, I believe you pretty much not you have a choice, not have really. much choice, but rather you you just need to trust on the intricacy of the legal representative, them being the solicitor, so they will carry out their duty as how the law requires them. So then, then this build back to the question about legal fees. If you can't mm. choose your lawyers, then the fees are kind of just thrusted on you, isn't it? You don't really have a choice to contend and to contest yes. it per se. So again, uh, this is something that I think all people need to understand. In engaging a service or in buying or selling something, you would need to pay a certain fees. So in this case, in our matter is when buying a house, you will need to pay a certain fees. So I break. I'm breaking it down into three, sorry, in two parts, all right? The first one is how, how do you know what fees that you need to pay or whether it's the correct fees that you need to pay is, is what I call uh, the foolproof method or it, the easiest method that you can do is by comparing with another lawyer, mm. okay? You have your quotation, you go to another lawyer that you know and you compare it, maybe have them check your quotation, is it um, valid or not? And then um, second one is the Googling method. A uh, Googling method is where you just Google what kind of fees <laughs> is, is basically needed yeah. or, or required to be charged on you and whether that fees is, is, is the correct one. And, and forgive me, uh, Philip, I said two. There's actually three. So the last one is the most uh, technical um, method of all in which you need to see the law itself enacted by the government in which we call a solicitor remuneration order or SRO for short. So in this order, you will have a list of the fees that you need to pay and amount and basically the um, the correct percentage or the correct amount that can be charged on you. And, and so let's say, you know, you've done all this work. Okay, fine. The fees are fair. But, you know, the, the solicitor doesn't really support you or, or even meet the requirements. So there are issues, there are complaints. What's the process to escalate raise complaints, you know, if, if the okay. purchaser feels that the lawyer, legal professional isn't trying to, isn't meeting its requirements or standards? Before I begin, yeah, let me just put it out there, Philip. The main role of our, our profession as the solicitor, as the lawyer, is always to have the client's interest as our utmost priority of all time. Mm. Okay? Uh, and I believe I speak for all the lawyers when I say um, we won't, uh, we can, we cannot, okay, and we will not manipulate or overcharge our client. All right. That being said, however, the, um, there is a way to complain, Philip. There is a way. However, I don't feel it's right for me to elaborate further here because for each and every complaint, there must be um, facts finding and it's a very sensitive issue. And to each of the complaint is always usually distinctive on their own and it's always go by case per case basis. And we're going to take a short break for messages and come back for some more discussion on what it takes to buy a new home. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned into the Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And with me today is Shazwan Shazani from Shazwan Shazani and Partners. As you try to get a sense of what first-time home buyers are looking out for when they make their first purchase. How does it usually break down the fees, you know, with, with respect to purchasing a home, with respect to legal fees? How do you break it down? Is it just one lump sum number? What's the fee structure usually that we should be looking out for and expecting from a benchmarking standpoint? So there's usually, um, there's usually a breakdown of the fees that you will need to pay. Mm. Of course, there's a list of things that you need yeah. to pay, but let me just break it down into two parts. Eh? First 
it's always the legal fees that you will need to pay to the lawyers. So these are the legal fees involved in preparing and, and making sure all documents are appropriate for the sale and purchase agreement to be completed, to be successful. So the first being the legal fees for the lawyers. All right. And then secondly is the, uh, is what we call a disbursement or rather a payment that we will need to make to the government bodies. So these are the payment. This will include the payment, say, for example, stamp duty, all right, payment to the land office for registration, mm. uh, payment for memorandum of transfer, that kind of payment, the payment that you need to make for government bodies. And of course, if you, if you want to go here, you can always include the 10% deposit payment that you will need to pay when buying a house. And I guess then coming to the point about timelines, right? Help me understand now the difference in timelines between sub-sale, secondary versus new developments. You know, how different is it and how different, you know, will solicitors, legal professionals play their role for different types of properties then going forward? So um, so the reason why people are buying uh, property in sub-sales or property for project is mainly because of the timeline. So let me explain. First, if you're buying a property from a developer, Usually, it will take about two two years for the property to complete, depending on which time you came in to buy the property. If you buy it from the start, it will usually take about two years for the development to finish. Mm. But if you're buying a sub-sale house, there, there is a certain timeline that would be affected by the types of the property itself. Okay, Say, for example, if you're buying a property, a freehold property with an individual title, you would take about three to four months for the transaction to complete. But say if you're buying a property which is commonly in Kuala Lumpur, for example, a leasehold property yeah. with a strata title, for example, that it will take about six months for it to complete because there are certain procedures that needed to be done uh, in contrast with the freehold property. So usually for freehold, the general guideline would be about three to four months. Mm. For leasehold, it will take about six months. Some In some cases, it will take about all the way up to 12 months. I guess then the question in my mind is what typically delays the process? What usually stops the what usually takes longer to get done when you look at all these different steps right in 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 getting to getting finally getting the keys to it where usually yeah. is the impediment so that's the hard question right <laughs> yeah. okay so usually in sub-sale cases um, where you would need longer to complete the transaction usually um these are the cases under leasehold property right that's mm. what i mentioned just now so in leasehold cases you would you would need to acquire this thing what we call a consent uh, this consent you would need to require, you would need to acquire, sorry, from the land office. So this whole process of getting the consent it involves not only acquiring the consent, but prior to that, you will need a certain document that you would need to request from the um, loan bank, from the uh, vendor current existing loan bank. So this whole process would take about maybe one or two months, depending on how well uh, the land office or the banks are giving you corporations. And that's where I always wonder, right, whether there are mm. differences in processes between on where you purchase the property, whether geography matters. I mean, we always say location, location <laughs> matters with respect to property prices. But I wonder whether location, location also matters a lot with respect to timing for you to close the transaction as well. What is what is the anecdotal experience on the ground, especially around Klang Valley and Islango, with respect to different districts? All right. To be frank, Philip, I would say there is there is differences. Mm. Well, um, if you're buying a property in in, in more... Um, uh, Mature in, locations, uh, developed uh, yeah, locations. Yeah. yeah, in developed locations like uh, Kuala Lumpur, uh, Slango maybe, perhaps. So that, 
I mean, <laughs> I, I might be I might be saying this out of my experience. Mm. It doesn't applicable to all, but usually the cases would be in these developed areas. The land office would, you you know, would be faster in terms of servicing you. Yeah, and, and there there are a lot more accessible, so you can actually expedite the matter should you choose to pursue that until the end. But in maybe in more rural areas, uh, in out of town areas, the 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 service would not be as much, uh, not not good lah. I yeah, say. I mean, I guess it's function also of not not having enough experience to manage all these yes. multiple transactions. Yes, so yes, yes. just getting the feel of it, I guess, will take time for those mm-hmm. places which have not so much maturity. And I guess that comes back to, we talk about the land offices not having maturity, but I guess the biggest issue is that new homeowners, first-time buyers also do have maturity, mm-hmm. right? In your experience, you know, having help, having assisted, you know, many young home buyers who are entering mm-hmm. the property market in the first time, what are the typical mistakes that, you know, first-time home buyers make uh, when it comes to purchasing a property. The, um, okay, um, so I've met a lot of uh, would-be first-time home buyers, right? Mm. But um, whenever we have this conversation of why do you want to buy a house, of course they have their own reason. But if I were to ask them, have you done your homework before buying your first house? Uh, these are among the questions that they cannot answer to me. So the so what's the, the homework then? Yeah, what is the yes. homework required? Yes. So the few mistakes that I find that these first home buyers did not do is that they do not check their DSR, or rather the full name would be debt service ratio. Mm. So these are actually a method used by the bank to calculate how much of a loan they can afford with the bank. Mm. So you see, uh, for each a individuals, they have their own commitments that they will need to pay every month and they, 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 help, they have their own salaries, right? So before buying a house, before, you know, before putting all your energy into finding and buying the proper house, make sure you've done your homework and check on your DSR. Because if your DSR is not, um, you know, it's not allowable by the bank, then it's going to be a waste of your time. How, you does, how, does, one, how does one go about finding their DSR? What's the process for them to help right. them find the DSR then? Again, like I always mention to my clients, Google is your friend. Again, go to Google and then simply type in DSR checking or, or check your DSR. You have plenty of results which will provide a free calculator for you for you to find out on your DSR. And of course, uh, this again, uh, the more technical method, you can always check your secrets or CITOS. For secrets, you can straight away go to Benigara. And right now you can even do an online uh, search for your secrets. For CITOS, okay, you can always go to their website, CITOS uh, credit, if I'm not mistaken, mm. for you to find out on your records, whether you are a good pay master or not. And I guess then, you know, uh, a simpler question then is in addition to doing the homework, right, any other areas you think that, you know, first-time home buyers need to be alert and aware of besides their financial situation? All right. Um, I guess at the end of the day, you need to um, see whether is the house you're buying comes within your budget or not. Mm. You know, because at the end of the day, when buying a house, it's, it's almost pretty much the same when buying, let's say, for example, your first car. 
Okay, when buying your first car, of course you can afford it, but whether you are totally fit to commit to that, you know, commitment that you're, you're, you're making. And then buying a house is not, the, the misconception that I always get for people is that if you're buying a house, then you're already there. <laughs> okay, you, yeah. you're already somehow, you've already made it. But you have to understand that buying a house is a commitment that you made for 30, 35 years. And you have to look into yourself whether you are able to commit to this kind of commitment before buying your first house. And just one last question. Is it easier to, is there a big difference between joint ownership or single ownership in purchasing a property? Or is there no difference whatsoever? That's an interesting question, Philip. Um, to my knowledge, from my experience, there's pretty much no difference in terms of in terms of where the, the, uh, the legal works are involved. In terms of the law, there's not much uh, differences. However, what the solicitors will do is just include the owners as a joint ownership in mm. their documents. That's all the time for today's property show. Thank you for being on the show, Shazwan. That was Shazwan Shazani from Shazwan Shazani and Partners. I'm Philip C. signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.